0: Well, good morning. I just want to say this, and I know I've said it before, but I really hope you underst- uh, You can grab a hold of my heart when I say it is awesome to worship with you guys, to come into God's presence, to lift up God, and to uh, do that together as a body of believers. That's not something that I take for granted, and I just want to say thank you for letting me be a part of, of your worship. And, and I hope and pray that as we come together each Sunday, each week, and we listen to God's Word, that we lean into it, and we also just uh, understand that this is all about Him and that it's about us bringing Him glory and giving Him praise. And we definitely receive blessings from that. Uh, we are in this uh, series, The Story, and again, we're looking at the meta-narrative of, of what's taking place throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. We're looking at that big picture. It's kind of, like I've said before, it's kind of like a biblical survey where we're grabbing the highlights. It's like sitting down and reading the newspaper each each week, or each day, I should say, and you can, you may not read every single word, but you kind of pick up on the, the um Highlights. You pick up on those bold uh, highlights and things like that, so you have a general idea of what's going on. That's really not much different than what we've been doing through the story. This series called "The Story," when we, we've been looking at that meta narrative. We're seeing the big picture. We're looking at the, the the big activity that God is doing throughout, and 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 particularly where we're. At, I shouldn't say particularly, but where we're at today and where we've been at in the past couple of weeks, we have we have. Um, uh, traversed through the bible and we've we've come to this spot where israel's divided israel what used to be a great nation israel is now nothing. It's, they're nothing. Uh, the northern kingdom, they were split into two kingdoms as we've been talking about. The northern kingdom gets taken over by uh, a nation by Assyria. God warned them. God sent them prophets. They did not listen. And so God uh, used a, another nation to come in and, and to get their attention. And so the northern kingdom has been destroyed. The southern kingdom now has um, went back to their old ways. And as we talked last week, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar came over and destroyed them, took them in three different waves as well, or took them in three different waves. Um, I think at this point, if we would stop and we would just kind of take a look at the big picture again of this nation, we I, I'm not so sure... Uh, it's, a fo- it's foreign to us what took place there and, and, and how we would relate with it. I think us, we living in America now, can see we can draw some parallels such as the political uh, polarization that took place then seems to be happening today in our world. The encroachment of immorality and the uh, erosion of values I think we can, uh, we can relate with. The lack of spiritual leadership, the resistance to God and the departure from God's word, I think are things that as we look at the nation of Israel and we see we um, read and we studied and we see what happened to them it's 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 like we look at it we say wow this is very close to how uh, to what we experience on in our daily basis and so hopefully it is a it is a signal light for us too that as we look at god's word god speaks to us and through his word to say look um you're you're my people and so today, as we, as we look at, at, at t- uh, today's uh, teaching, that's where we find ourselves. We find Israel divided as a nation, literally destructed. Uh, other nations come in, have, have, have laid waste to them, literally uh, destructed. Um, and and we, what we talked about last week, the southern kingdom being taken into three waves, into exile to Babylon, uh, we're going to read today, or in our lesson today, we studied that they're coming back now, that their time is up. Uh, but while they were in exile, God um was trying to teach them a lesson to say I want to be worshiped. I am your God. I am your one true God. And so as they were in exile, that was the that was the lesson. At one point they still didn't pick up on that in which they got um uh, kind of if I could say it got in trouble again they got penalized for it again and so w- essentially what we see is God having them in exile to get their attention and that's kind of like what God does to us at times where he continually tries to get our attention and it's not so much i think to destroy us but it's to say hey i love you i don't want you to continue down this path i don't want you to continue to live your life in this way because it's going to it's not the best for you it's going to destroy you and so sometimes God moves us into places of exile and it may be Physical. Maybe some of us are sitting in here where we have this physical exile going on, and, uh, but most of the time it's a spiritual exile. And so, to define exile, the working definition that we have today is that exile literally is being forced to live where you don't belong, it's being forced to live in a position where you really don't belong. And so that's where we see, that's where we see this group of people that was taken out of Judah, taken out of the southern kingdom in Babylon. They don't belong there. They're God's people. They are God's chosen ones and God uh, wants them to return home and to be His people once again. And so as they, they're longing to be home, they're longing to be home. At one point, they become so immersed into the culture there that they end up intermarrying, and then they don't want to leave. And so then God is moving them, and God is is uh, you know uh, teaching them another uh, teaching them a lesson so that they will come home and be His people. But it's very interesting what takes place. It's very interesting how God's unconditional love, His hand continues to move in Ezra chapter one verses two and two through four. This is what it says about the king of Persia, someone that's not a Jew, someone that's not part of the of Israel per se, but someone that's of another nation. And so listen to what it says. It says this is what Cyrus or Cyrus king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms kingdoms of earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Don't you find that quite interesting? This guy's not even a Jew. This guy's not even affiliated with them per se, only that these people are living in his kingdom, uh, if you will. And he says this, God has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem in Judah, at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. What a story. If you would sit down and talk to me and say, well, that's just coincidence that this king did this, I would probably laugh. It's amazing. This king, God turns this king's heart to say, look, if you're a Jew and you're living in Babylon right now, it has been pressed upon my heart by your God to send you back to Jerusalem, at Jerusalem, to Judah, to build the temple of God, your God. And I'm not going to stop there by just releasing you. I'm going to actually resource you. And so he, 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 gives, he tells his people that they're to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock and freewill offerings for the temple of God. He not only releases them, but resources them. And so they have this mandate. They're called to go back home. They're, they're called to return home and to rebuild the temple, which had been destroyed, uh, been destroyed years ago. So between 538 and 515 B.C., 50,000 Jews, which is a very reduced number that went over, but 50,000 Jews begin to make this pilgrimage back to Judah. And as they were taken in three waves, they're going to go back in three waves. And one of the first waves that goes back that's going to build the altar in the temple is led by a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. And his purpose, or their purpose, leaving Babylon was to go back and rebuild the temple of God. And so they go back and, and, and they begin to do this. But the temple represented God's presence. The temple throughout the Bible, the tabernacle, the temple had has always represented God's presence in the midst of his people. It was a visual reminder to say, I want to be with you. The God of heaven, the God that created everything, the God that, that lives beyond time, that lives beyond all the laws of, uh, that we live with, or live to, or under, or whatever, you, however you want to word that, this God says, I want to be with my people. And so the temple represented that. The temple was this visual reminder that said, God is with us. God is with us. And so immediately they go back, and they, begin to, they, begin, they start the project. They begin this project. And so they 're doing it, they're come back, they roll up their sleeves, they get a fill, they get into it, but then something happened as they 're building the temple, they lost focus, and they lost passion, they lost their zeal, and they lost their motivation. They became tired, they became exasperated, they became discouraged, they became overwhelmed, and so what was the project what was the mission for them to come back they begin to lose focus and they begin focusing on themselves they begin focusing on their own homes they begin focusing on their own families they have became they have become distracted can you relate with that can you relate with making a big commitment and then not before long you begin to lose heart maybe maybe you said you know what you got stirred by one of these messages and, you, and as you've been reading through the story, this meta-narrative, God has, has reached down and God has you know, taken that meta-narrative and come crashing down into your world. And at some point, you've made a recommitment. You've made this renewal with God. And you said, God, I want you either to, A, number one, uh, I accept your free gift of grace and salvation. And maybe this is the, your first crack at this. Maybe you're sitting in here, you've been, following, you've been following God for years. But you've made this commitment. And then you become distracted you become discouraged, you become frustrated, you, become, you, you, you start losing your vision, you start losing your zeal for it. Maybe you said, you know what, God, I'm going to be a godly leader of my home. I, have, I feel impressed that as, as the leader of my house that I need to be a godly leader and I need to lead my family the way you want me to lead my family. And so you make that commitment. over time, truth be known, you start getting a little exasperated, you start getting a little weary, you start getting a little tired. It it's, it's becomes a challenge, you become frustrated. And you have lose focus. Maybe you've been touched through, uh, through the ministry here at Element. At some point, God connected with you. And God gave you an opportunity to see your giftedness and your talents. And, and, and helped you understand that he created you for, you know, Ephesians. When Paul says that we've been created, we've been saved to do good works for him. That you, you latched onto that and you realize, you know what, God? You've created me with this, who I am. This identity of who I am, this, this giftedness. And God, I'm going to commit more of my time to the ministry. I'm going to commit more of my time. I'm going to volunteer more of my time, my resources. And so you really started out after it, but over time, you kind of lost your zeal. You become maybe frustrated. You, you've kind of pared back a little bit, and now you're just kind of hanging out in the wings. You're kind of on the fence, and you're just kind of sitting there. Can you relate? That's exactly what happened to these guys. They went into it, they were all charged up, we're going back to rebuild the temple. Guys, when they go back, when they went back and they saw what had happened and how everything had been destroyed, what used to once be the great city, how everything was just laid waste, it turned them, it turned their emotions. But at some point, they became distracted and tired and frustrated and began to step away, they become distracted. It's kind of like the same thing that, that Jesus said to John in Revelation. In, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he's, he's, he's writing this to a church, uh, he's saying this to a church in Ephesus, and Jesus says this to them, Yet I hold this against you. The one thing I have against you, you've done all these great things, you're kind of on the mark, but the one thing I have against you, you have forsaken the love, the, the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first the same thing that happened with the Jews. They come back to rebuild the temple. It was a great plan. It was a great mission. They got excited about it. They didn't plan to abandon the project. I doubt any of them said, hey, you know what? Let's get into this, and in about six months, let's pull out, and let's just let it go to pot. I don't think anybody intended for that to happen. I think they went in fully committed. I think they went in blazing, guns blazing. They're like, yes, this, they have purpose and now meaning to their lives. They didn't plan to walk away. They didn't plan to get distracted. They didn't plan to, be, you know, to lose their zeal. But one by one, they begin to drop back. And you've experienced this before. You may be one of them. You may be, have been one of the ones that dropped back later. But one by one, they begin just kind of dropping away. One by one, this person goes. Now this person's gone. Where's that person? Oh, they dropped away. Well, they dropped back. And that doesn't mean they're dropping out of the faith. Let's not look at it that way. But they just dropped back from this commitment that they made. So the next thing you know, days start stacking up. Weeks start stacking up. Months start stacking up. Years, you know how the whole saying goes. And then the next thing you know, 16 years has gone by and there hasn't been anything done to the temple being rebuilt. And so the temple... What used to be a great I mean this project was started, the temple had become deteriorated, it become neglected, it become overrun with weeds, it, become, it started You know you know how something looks, it's been neglected, and you look at it, it's like us driving by we're so, like a house that's been uh, started, and you look at it and you're like, "What happened to that house? Did, did they run out of money?" And you start thinking about what happened? You start making assumptions, right, and speculating, what happened? Did they, just, did they run out of money? Did it get taken away? From, what, what, what took place? That's exactly what happened here. The temple star is, 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 is half done or whatever. Other nations start looking at this temple and they make remarks such as, wow, that's the house of their God. They really don't think too much about, the house, about their God if, they're, if that's all they're going to do with the house of their god they must not really care about their god and so other nations begin to look at this begin to look at judah once again to say who are these people this really is you know and, and it made a statement against the god they served if that wasn't enough other generation another generation came up and they would say the same thing they would look at this temple and say what did our fathers and mothers not care about this did they not care about the house of God? Did they not care about the presence of God where God dwelt? Did they really not care about God? And I can just, just imagine that this generation said, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Yes, we cared about God. We didn't mean for this to happen. I don't think anybody sits out and says, well, this is what we want to disgrace God we didn't mean for this to happen. It wasn't our intention whatsoever. And so it's during this time, after 16 years go by, the temple's becoming deteriorated. There, people are looking at it and thinking, these people don't even care about God. God moves through the prophet Haggai. And Haggai, in chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, says this. God's saying this through this prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while, that, while this house remains a ruin? He goes on to say, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you're never full. you You never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn your wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. This is the lesson that we can... This is the application that we can drive, derive from this. God's saying... You're getting focused on yourselves. And God, guys, what have we been talking about in the past? I mean, we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about idols. We've talked about false gods. We've talked about placing our faith and hope in things that don't produce. That's what God, I think, is saying through this. You know what? You, you, and we're never satisfied, are we? We're never satisfied because we're always going to the well of something that can't produce what we're looking for. Just like we talked about last week, when we talk about happiness, when our life is built around happiness, we say that is the purpose of my life is to be happy. What literally happens is that quest for happiness literally turns and bites us. It actually becomes a curse. And God's saying the same thing. You, you look, you know, you've planted much, but what have you harvested? Little, because you're planting the wrong things. He says you've, you eat, but you're never full. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but they're not warm. You earn wages, and you put them away only for you're putting in, them in a place that has holes. You're searching. You're constantly searching and searching and searching. When he says, this is what I've called you to do. I've called you to go and to build my house. It's about me we would, you know, today we would say, you know what, we love God. I bet every one of us, hopefully every one of us in here would probably say this. Some of you may be in here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God and you may be searching. This verse may really hit you, but for some of us, we could say, you know what, I love God. I love God. But I don't have time for God. I love God, but you don't understand my schedule. I love God, but you don't know what takes place within my home life. I love God, but you don't understand the demands of my job. I love God, but I love God dot, 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 right? Did these guys intend for his temple to be deteriorated? No, but it was the same way. We love God, but I need to work on my house for a little while. I need to work on my stuff for a little while. And the next thing you know, God becomes neglected. And here's where I think we get in trouble. I think in the Western mindset that we operate in, we're very notorious for thinking in one, two, three, right? Where we say, well, the first person, the first number one, the blank spot in my life has to be God, right? And we say, okay, now, what's the second most important thing in my life? Well, I'm married and I've got kids. It's got to be my family. So I'm going to have to write family in up here in the second spot. Now, three. Where's three come in at? Well, I know I should write church in right here, you know, but it's, that usually gets competed with, right? And if truth be known, some of us would say, it's not really church, it's my job. You know? and, what, and so we have, and I think it's our, that's our Western mindset where we have to have these one, two, three, four, you know, it's like, well, God's got to be, da, da, da. I think there's a different approach we need to look at it and say God has to be the center of our lives. And that's where God wants to be. He doesn't want to be just, He wants to be at the center of our lives so that when we look at our job, we're looking at it through the lenses of him. When we look at our our family, when we look at uh, our school, whatever it is, all the other things that we have going on in our life, it's always viewed through the lenses of Jesus Christ, of God, of who he is. How we are going to deal with those things will be how he wants us to deal with those. God says, I want to be at the center of your life. These people had to get that straight before they were truly released from exile. Just because they came back from Babylon doesn't, even really, it doesn't really mean they were released from exile because they still haven't got this, this spiritual sense back yet. And so God says, I want, I, I want my house built first because it is a visual reminder that I am with you, that I am with my people, that when you look at this, you see that I am with you. In Acts 7.48, though, listen to what uh, Stephen says before he's martyred. He says, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. You see, now this is where this really affects us because then, before Jesus... That's where God had that visual reminder that this is where He resided. But now, where we live, on this side of the cross, God doesn't really need a temple per se. In fact, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in John 4, what did He say? He said there's going to be a time where ge- this literal, geographical, physical sense doesn't matter where you worship. You're going to, you're going to worship through truth and spirit. God doesn't really need a temple per se. He wants to be with His people. That's the concept. And in order for that to happen, you and I, on this side of the cross, serve as the temple of God. God wants us to have Him at the center of our lives where He resides within us. His presence is within us. So... Uh, let 's uh, Here, in the next few moments, I want to focus on three things very uh, here I just want to focus on three things three characteristics of what that looks like in us being the temple of god number one god 's presence. We say this a lot in church. God lives inside of us. Ask Jesus into your heart now, for some uh, that can become very confusing. What does that mean ask invite Jesus into your heart. What does that mean well Essentially what it means is, and I'm not going to get too theological theological with you here, but it means that God is at the center of my heart. It means that God is is given, is, is the consideration, it's everything I look at is viewed through the lenses of Jesus, because his presence, because he lives inside of me. When I accept that free gift of grace and salvation, it's no longer I at the center, it's Christ. It's Jesus. So everything I look at, Jesus' presence is going to, God's presence is here because He's he, inside of me and He's at the center of my life. Also, the second one would be godly prayer. This, this concept that now we have this opportunity, not like they had then, but we have this opportunity now to literally communicate with God. That's something I believe gets lost on us. I think that is a privilege, a truth that really gets lost on us, and at times we don 't really we 're not people of god godly prayer. Let me share with you just real quick, and this is just a little touch of history you 're familiar with this you 've heard it before, but I want you to listen to the to the implications of this before the cross god 's presence was was felt in the tabernacle or the temple, okay, and in this place. There was a place when you go through the different the different the different sections of the temple, clear in the back was a place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, that's where God's presence dwelt. That was reserved specifically for God. That's where the ark of the covenant, where they kept things from their 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 pilgrimage per se. They kept things in the Ark of the Covenant. And when they would see the Ark of the Covenant, they, they, that was God's presence. That's where God resided. And so in this particular physical spot, the Holy of Holies, there was this, this is where God, God dwelt right here at this, his presence would come and, and literally kind of sit right here at the Ark of the Covenant. Well, right before that, was this huge, that separated people from God, was this huge curtain about four inches thick that that was very tall that went from the top clear to the bottom. And no one was allowed to go in behind this curtain. If you went in behind this curtain, you would literally die, physically die. Not metaphorically speaking, but literally you would die because you were unholy, you were unclean, and going into the presence of God, God didn't tolerate that. And so there was this major separation between the people and God. And once a year, the priest would go in and he would make a sacrifice, an atonement, for the people, for their sins. He would take take in, once a year he would go in, and God would make atonement for everybody's sins once a year. Now, let me just paint the picture a little bit clearer about how holy this is because I think this would really make a priest or someone applying to be a priest, it would make it much more real. They would actually attach these bells, per se, bell, to the hem of his robe so that they could hear him move around. And they would tie a rope around him. So when he would go back in behind this curtain, if they would hear those bells jingling, they would know that he was still alive and that everything was okay. Okay. But if they didn't hear any bells, that means that something was off, that he didn't do things the correct way, the way God intended for for him to do it, or them to do it, instruct them to do it. And he would die, and so they would pull him out. They wouldn't go back in there, but they would literally take that rope and pull him out. There was a major, major separation between between people and God. We're unclean god can't tolerate that god can't tolerate that uncleanliness but but we're told through the sacrifice of jesus christ that jesus when he died on the cross he literally took that curtain and it came down and now there's no longer a separation between us and god but actually god resides in us we're able to communicate with him his presence is inside of us we're able to communicate to him through the blood of jesus christ which we're going to be we're going to be uh focusing on here in a few moments through communion but in hebrews listen to what the author of hebrews says in chapter 10 he says therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What this means is, this whole concept of prayer this is a huge thing. When Jesus died on the cross, it says that uh, at, at, at that time, this veil literally ripped, this curtain, this huge curtain, literally ripped from the top down, indicating that it wasn't created by man, but it was created by God. This curtain literally ripped in half and fell to the ground, symbolizing that there's now no longer a separation between, between God and his people. We now have this incredible opportunity through, the, through Jesus, to go into the most holy place and speak to God ourselves. The third thing is this, being God's temple, is we are God's people. If you've accepted that free gift of grace and salvation, you have felt that invitation of God calling to you, God saying, I love you, I want a relationship with you, and you've received that, you are now a child of God. You belong to Him. You are a chosen one. 1 Corinthians three sixteen says, "Don't you know that you yourselves are now God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst?" The point to all of this is that the temple of God is no longer a building. It's no longer a physical literal a physical place per se, but it's it's inside of us. We are the church. We are the church. A tornado could come through here this afternoon. uh, Some tragedy, a fire, something could happen to this building. But we are God's church. We are God's people. Paul tells us that we should live that way. That that because we're the temple of God, that God resides within us. To sacrifice, to lay those things on the altar that are unclean. Those things that want to take us away from God. We would lay those things on the altar and become pure. We would become clean and and be represent God's temple. The temple is not God's it's not a building, it's you. It's you. And that's all happened through this incredible ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In the past, when they had that day of atonement that happened once a year where the priest would go back into the holy of holies and and God would for God would uh uh cover their sins. That's the point I want to make. That's what would happen. God would cover their sins. But once Jesus Christ went to the cross, we're taught in the Bible that no, our sins are no longer covered. They're actually removed. Guys, I, again, I don't know where you are today in your walk with Christ. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but I want to tell you something if you're sitting in here this morning and you're trying to understand all this and it's confusing and maybe you've been following christ and it's confusing too let me just say this and bear with me when i say it this way stop trying to understand it i think there are some things about god we're not going to understand but just because i don't may not understand the full realities of god doesn't mean it's not true When it comes down to it, it comes down to belief. It comes down to say, you know what? I may not understand this, God, but I believe that you define truth. Through your word, I believe that you define truth. And that what you say in the word is true. Even though I don't understand it, that doesn't make it not true if I can't understand it. Or true if I can't understand it. But we come to a place where we say, God, I believe you. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he is the only way to you. I believe that you're going to live in my life. I believe that you're going to give me power to live this life that you've called me to live. God, here's my life. Maybe you're sitting in this morning and you you have never done that. I, I pray that this might be the day you have the courage to say, God, here is my life. Maybe you're sitting in here this morning as a Christian, a Christ follower, and you become like one of these guys. You've become distracted. You've you lost your zeal. You've lost your passion. You're not motivated. Guys, this is the day where I think Jesus is coming. And he, just like he said in Revelation, hey, turn from the direction you're going and come back. Remember your first love. Remember your first love. This is about me. Put me at the center of your life. Put me at the center to where everything you look at is viewed through me. Here in a few moments, is after I pray, I want to invite you to take communion. And uh, again, once I'm done praying, please just um, respond. If, if, if you feel led to come and take communion, please just do that. You don't have to be a member at Element uh, to take communion. The only thing you have to be is a member of God's family. Because you're coming and you're remembering and you're celebrating what Christ has done for you. And that you are part of the temple of God now. If this is a time where you just need to spend a few moments reflecting, take some time. Spend some time with God. This is about you and God. This isn't about anything else. It's not about time. It's not about us getting out on time. If you want to spend a few moments and then come up later, please do. Please respond the way you believe God is leading you. But I pray again, as always, that you would just take this moment, this space. Open yourself up. Let go. Let go. And let God communicate to you what he wants to communicate to you. God wants to encounter every single one of us sitting in here this morning. And he has a message specifically for you. And it starts by you humbling yourself and just being contrite and opening yourself up and saying, God, here I am. Here I am. So as I pray. I just want to uh, lead you in that moment. The band's going to play as you come and take, and then we're going to close out with a song. But if you need more time, we're here for, for that. So let's just take a minute, just bow your heads and your hearts, and let me lead us into this, into this moment. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that our minds, even though there's some major truths out there, God, that you roll out that is very hard to comprehend. Almost impossible. How can we ever understand that you are fully human and fully God? But God, we take that and we look at it and we say, you know what? I believe that. And we accept it. And God, this morning, if there are those in here, I pray, first of all, I pray that Satan would not have any freedom at all in here for distraction, for discouragement, for confusion, for any of that. God, I pray that this would be a time that is just your presence right now. God, things would become clear for us. I pray that you would, I know that you want to, but I pray that we would have the courage to, to allow you to, to connect with us wherever we are on our journeys. And so God, this morning as we participate in uh, communion, I pray that it'd be so meaningful for us today that we would reflect and we would remember and we would understand that we are your temple we are the the vehicle in which you choose to preside right now in sharing the good news the gospel in this world god minister to us just meet us where we are we know you will and we just commit this time to you through the powerful name of your son jesus christ our lord and our savior amen